poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. As always, this is your hosts of Tactical Tuesday, Coach Brad Wilson and John. John, how you doing, sir? Going, Brad. Got a couple of your hands to look over today. Um, I think, Brad, you played these on the on your poker coaching stream that you do every once in a while, um, pretty recently. So, pretty excited to. Take a look at a couple high stakes NL hands. Yeah, once a month I play some five ten NL on Poker Coaching Premium, and we we do need to talk about these hands and get through them because I've got two episodes left of Squid Game, and you know <laughs> you and I have been talking about it for probably the last thirty or forty five minutes. Uh, it's I don't even know why I like it so much or it's so fascinating. It's a little bit. Um, I don't even know what the right word is. Disturbing. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty disturbing, and yes, I can't get enough. Oh. oh well, hopefully they'll. I mean, I think they're renewing for another season. So <laughs> after these two episodes, you'll have more more to I, chew on. Yeah, I gotta say though, I I do love the uh, the set. Like if you go to uh, chasingpokergreatness.com and like there's some of these like designs that look like MC Escher S like the set of squid game, like the stairs that they walk up is just so fucking cool. Like, I I don't know how they got that done um, or what the budget was, but it's just really cool. Yeah. And actually it does look a lot like the chasing poker greatness icon design or like the city design in in chasing poker greatness. So I I didn't really think of that, but yeah, good point. (laughs) I've thought a lot about the Chasing Poker Greatness uh, <laughs> website design <laughs> uh, more than I would care to admit. Um, but yeah, these two hands played on the poker coaching stream. We're going to break them down. Uh, that's the commonality between them. They're very different hands. So, John, do you want to start breaking down hand number one? Sure. So, hand number one playing uh, five handed at a 510 no limit. Brad is first to act in middle position. He opens ace queen offsuit to $25. Uh, there's a kind of short or I guess like half stack fish in the cutoff who three bets to $60. Um, everybody else gets out of the way. This three bet is really, really small. Um, it's coming from a player who I think we can safely assume is a fish, um, just given his stack and, and also his three bet sizing. I would be looking to peel mostly with ace queen offsuit given this like really good price and the fact that it's a fish three betting uh versus a rag i think ace queen offsuit would be uh just a slam dunk four bet bluff candidate but versus fish who probably are not three betting uh the bluff portion of their range properly and and also given the fact that we're getting such a good price um i would i would just go ahead and flat this and try to flop a good hand yeah so i guess this is the first portion of the hand where I, I do go ahead and four bet. Um, so I, I four bet to 170 and I can't remember exactly what I was thinking, but it's possible that I had, 
some sort of HUD stat that this fish was more on the volatile side and three betting a ton, or maybe they had a betting pattern where like they're three betting very often small or something like that. But I, I have to imagine that like reopening the action here with Ace Queen, um, this is just for pure value. Like I, I had to have a good idea that I'm just, you know, most likely dominating or pushing equity against, uh, against this player profile and, I, I don't think they're ever folding to this four bet like ever. Um, so yeah, I, I did go ahead and four bet uh, to be for the, for the podcast listener to the villain in this hand started with about 64 big blinds. So $640. So I'm four betting to 170 uh, and they do go ahead and call and what kind of flop we got here. There's 355 in the pot the flop is queen of clubs, 10 of clubs, six of spades. We have ace queen. Um, the villain has, you know, the SPRs like 1.3 ish. Uh, the fish has $452. We have top pair, top kicker. And now I guess um, I'll ask your thoughts here for this first decision point on the flop. Wait, sorry, before we get to the flop. So just to clarify something, pre flop, you said like this is like, Ace Queen, the four bet with Ace Queen offsuit is for pure value. You think you're pushing equity versus uh, this fish's three betting range. Um, would you be calling off versus a, a jam? No earthly idea, but I mean, if I look at the pot size and the stack they got left, it seems like once I four bet to 170, I'm probably not folding to you know, their jam for like 640 or whatever. Yeah, it'd be pretty tough to fold for the remainder of a stack. But again, like I'm sure, I mean, I wouldn't be super super excited about calling it off with ace queen i was just curious if if you you know if you were more excited about calling off versus this fish than uh than i than i would be but sounds like you're not i mean i'm getting like forced into it yeah i'm getting close to two to one so like uh, you know i can't really fold ace queen getting two to one gotcha gotcha okay um so yeah i think you can go (laughs) i think you can go a lot of different ways on the swap um i think Starting with a small bet is probably the most standard thing to do. Um, starting with like, I don't know, close, probably around the quarter pot is usually what I default to in format pots. Um, I think given that this uh, particular fish is is uh, pretty short and has like just over one-to-one stack-to-pot ratio, um, I think checking the flop is totally reasonable as well and, and you know, trying to induce a bluff or induce value bets from worse hands. Even if it gets checked through on the flop, it's not really a disaster. You're still going to have a really easy time getting stacks in uh, versus a hand that's going to call off and maybe a hand stacks off slightly, maybe the fish stacks off slightly lighter once the flop checks through. So I think the only option that I really don't like on the swap is is, is a big bet um, or a jam or, or something of that nature. So checking or small betting, I think, are would be my two preferred options. Yeah, I think I pre- prefer checking the most with this SPR. Like you said, um, we got we have no trouble getting the money in whenever we want to get it in. And like really thinking about this spot, I mean, I guess the first question is like, are we giving equity to any portion of villain's range by checking? If it checks through, that is really bad for us. And, and I think that like if villain has a gut shot like ace jack, I don't think it matters. Like, I think they're just getting the money in most likely on the flop. Like, if we check, they're going to bet. And if we bet small, they're probably going to jam. If they have a flush draw, there's nothing. Like, the money's going in. If they have king jack or jack nine, 
um, or eight, nine, I think the money's just going in. So I think they're like all the hands and if they have a pair, you know, Jack 10, King 10, Ace 10, I don't think they're ever folding a pair once they flop a pair with this stack to pot ratio. So mm-hmm. I think that like any hand that we're really quote unquote, you know, afraid of, of giving equity to, I just think that those hands are all never folding no matter what we do. And they're just always going broke. And so like, basically what I don't want to do is bet and allow a hand that has like zero equity that just is never continuing to just easily fold. Uh, I think like sunk cost fallacy is kind of in play here as well, where, you know, Villet has 452 and they're a weak player and there's 355 in the stack in the pot. So like, this is a pot that I feel like they're probably going to go to battle for if I just give them an opportunity. So in this exact spot, I would be checking range. Like I would be checking everything. And if I have a hand like, you know, ace king, then I'm probably just ripping. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was just, I was trying to think of like hands that I would want to just rip myself. I think ace king, uh, is maybe like the only one that I can think of really quickly off the top of my head. Um, I think like another consideration when it comes to checking is that you might be able to win the cutoff stack um, in that way um, when like a bet like would basically uh, create a situation where you never win their stack. I think checking here after four betting, um, one thing that I wouldn't be shocked to see is that the cutoff just like turns a hand into a bluff that they would never call or like never bluff you know, in a more normal situation, but they sort of see your four bet check on the sport as like ace king and just, you know, ace king only. And so like, I'm going to go out of my way to get them to fold ace king and just turn like, you know, four or five, just like jam four or five of hearts or like, you know, jack eight or something like that, that maybe they just, you know, fold versus any other type of action. And, and they're, you know, they just get really excited about trying to get you to fold ace king um, or maybe even, or maybe even like something like turning pocket fives into like, just like a protection jam and saying like, oh, okay, like, you know, this hand needs some protection. It's ahead of ace king, which I think is what, you know, the four better has once they four bet and check. So I'm just going to rip in that hand. Um, whereas like, it's probably going to be tough to stack pocket fives in any other way, um, unless they're putting the money in themselves. So yeah, I think a lot of good things can, can come from you checking in. And like you said, you're not giving up that much, uh, against hands that have equity versus ace queen. Yeah. And this hand just came to mind uh, that I also played this one on poker coaching stream too. I had an ace seven of hearts and villain opened 20. I th- from the cutoff, I three bet the button to 60 and the big blind called and the flop was like Jack, Jack seven and the cutoff folded uh, Jack, Jack seven. I had a seven of hearts villain checked. I bet like a third and villain check raised like four X and I called the turn was like the eight of hearts. It went check, check. And then the rest just checked, checked down and villain had pocket sixes and villain was a fish. And you know, that's sort of the same line of thinking there. It's like, Oh, they bet really small. They have ace King. I've got a pair. So I need to like protect my pair. So I'm just going to raise and put some money in. Um, in, in this case, they would just be like jamming their pocket fives or jamming their like six, seven suited, or, you know, just some sort of hand like that. Um, and that's like totally expected. I, I just, I, I it, it is not surprising, not shocking. It's the expectation that in a spot like this, when you check with one bet left, that a weak player is just going to put the money in with a pair because they think you just have ace king. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think that's, that happens <laughs> with a really high frequency in these spots. Yeah. I mean, it, and it seems like 
it wouldn't, right? Like you, you would think that like we're playing five ten and L online that like these things just don't happen, but it's like kind of kindergarten class. Sometimes it's like <laughs> they, they just do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we check and villain does go ahead and oblige by putting in. It's like a little hefty bet. Um, like a two thirds ish. Yeah. Two thirds ish size bet. They bet two fifteen and three fifty five. They leave themselves with two thirty seven back. Uh, I mean, at this point, like, I think we just have to jam, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, jamming certainly is the most standard play. I feel like I'm a little bit biased because I know what the cutoff has. <laughs> in this You're, situation. You are totally biased. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I'm jamming. I, I don't know why I'm even thinking about <laughs> finding a flat in the situation and trying to like, I mean, the reason for flatting would be like, okay, like I, I don't want to, I don't want them to fold like a total airball hand that maybe they jam themselves on the turn if I check you know, on the turn, um, you know, here, for example, like they're not going to call with like four or five of hearts, uh, if we jam here, but they might jam the turn with four or five of hearts themselves if we call this bet and then check the turn. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know, like now that we say that out loud, it's like, what, like, really, like, are we just getting jams from like all the hands that are going to call this tech jam on the flop? Anyways, well, like on the turn, like aren't his flush draws and jack nines and king jacks and like eight nines? Are they, aren't they all just going to jam the turn? I don't know. I don't know. Once they about 215, like I think like it's possible that like a hand like King Jack or Ace Jack or eight nine or a flush draw can check behind once we call the bet on the flop and just try to realize equity. Like they're the pot's gonna be like eight hundred and they've got two thirty seven left. Like right. I, I think that you just have to protect against villain over realizing. Um if I were in position then I would just call because yeah. then I uh, yeah. just give them a chance to put the money in. But I, I don't want to like just give them a chance to overrealize on the turn. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And like, I mean, overrealizing is one thing. The other thing is like, maybe if you jam here, ace jack just, you know, shrug calls it off. But then if ace jack, if you, <clears throat> if you call here and ace jack doesn't improve on the turn and turn goes check, check, and they don't improve on the river and you jam the river and they just never, you know, they don't call because they haven't improved. Whereas like in this spot, maybe ace jack just calls it off a hundred percent of the time. Um, yeah, or King Jack or Jack Nine as well, I, right, right, or, right. or Eight Nine. Um, all yeah. those straight draws, I think, are just going to be happy to try yeah. to make something. Right. So, jamming here in an effort to like stack those hands, uh, even if like even unimproved is is yeah is a big benefit to jamming here. Sure. Uh, Dylan does fold because, like you said, you you know the result and you know what <laughs> yeah. they have. I mean, if I know what they have, then this this spot gets a lot easier, right? Uh, they had the ace of clubs, nine of spades, which I guess my in-game read of four betting the ace queen was pretty spot on, um, <laughs> given that they had the ace nine off. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, obviously, knowing what we know now, check calling is better because they're like basically drawing dead. But yeah, I, I do think that this gives more merit, you know, for the podcast listener and for the YouTube watcher, like checking in these spots to trap this one bet is a big deal. You know, it's like an extra 21 big blinds from a hand that had no intention of putting any more big blinds in the pot had right. you gone ahead and bet. So there's right. like a, a lot of value here and just giving villain the opportunity to put this bet in. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is like, that, like that's, that's like, for sure, like the crux of this this hand is is exactly what you said. It's like getting money from uh, a range or a hand that we you know we can never expect to call a bet ourselves. This is like a spot that I think happened occurred 
a handful of times um, in our coaching sessions kind of earlier on where like I would just bet this, I would like quarter pot the flop with ace queen um, versus a fish that has like an SPR of one. And you sort of just be like, what are you doing? Like, just check. And like, you know, you you you're, you can always put this money in like on later streets at it with an SPR of one or like just over one. You don't have to worry about, you know, putting money in on the flop right now. And like, in fact, like all you're doing is denying these sorts of situations where ace nine offsuit is going to put in 21 big blinds or whatever. Yeah. 21 big blinds, um, inappropriately. And, and, you know, we're saving themselves from, from making that mistake. Uh, so yeah, this was something that definitely came up in our coaching sessions. Pretty uh, frequently. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it comes up for lots of people where they just get in this mode of like, I just bet quarter pot and then they just bet quarter pot. And it's like, no, no, no let's think about this. Like, Let's actually invest thought into this instead of like just trying to go with some like pre vanilla plan against, you know, a player profile that, you know, we can take actions like this and they're extremely, extremely profitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just super excited or super easy to get like really excited when you flop top pair, top kicker in a four bed pot and just be like, oh, okay, I want to put money in. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to make sure this guy gets all in when you don't really need to be. Super concerned about that when the SPR is so low. And, and also, like, when you have a really good hand and there's, like, close to one bet left, I mean, a lot of times it's more valuable just letting your opponent put the last bet in because if you have a really good hand, like, you need them to have a, a hand, too, to put the money in. And, like, it, that's kind of hard, right? <laughs> it, it's it's not often that both of us flop um, very well uh, that, that we just both want to put the money in. All right, so this the next hand after the break is I, it, it's a doozy, and we broke it down in Poker Power Hour, and now we're going to talk about it here. And I'm still, I have a lot of thoughts, but it's certainly one of the, one of the stranger hands that I've played over this past year. And so uh, stick around after the break. We'll break it down. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years. Somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And Preflop Bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to, to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in Bootcamp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I, I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. 
And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's、um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know that that was fun. That's、uh, pushing each other and really helping、uh, one another. Kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was、uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always. Being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up,、um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of of a solid poker game. And、uh, since boot camp, I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and、uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have seventy thousand hands played by now. You know, I'm. A father, and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199, and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com. Slash bootcamp. One more time. That's chasingpokergreatness.com/slash/bootcamp, all one word. Or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right. Welcome back from the break. Be sure to check out Neutralize Flop Leads. It's a good course.、Uh, lots of people have said so. Um, including John, right, John?、Yeah. It is confirmed a a good course. <laughs> it is a, a little bit of an understatement. It's. A, I think I think everyone should get it. I, I said this actually in the YouTube, like when we were watching the premiere. It's really short. It's like a super short and sweet course. It's one page of info that will like print you tons of money, and it doesn't cost a lot because the course is relatively short compared to the other super meaty courses. But I think it's like the best mass data analysis entry. Course for anybody, where it'll take you like five minutes to learn it, and then once you learn it, your I assume your initial inclination will just be to buy every other course because of how good the strategy is.、Um, so yeah, I think it's a great just gateway course for anyone who's looking to experiment with MDA、uh, <laughs> strategy. This it, for somebody that doesn't know what poker is, it just sounds like you you are just selling some kind of drug. I think. Yeah, MDA, um, gate, gateway, gateway course yeah. in MDA.、Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, if you play any live poker, you know the WSOP is going on right now, like two five, no limit. I mean, you, you open to like thirty dollars, and somebody calls and they donk thirty dollars into you. Like it doesn't take very long to for a hundred ninety nine dollar course to pay for itself, and you never have to worry about you know、yeah. getting donked into again by a fish. You just have a plan. You know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So this hand, I do not have an MDA course for this hand,、uh, and I do not know exactly what to do, as we're about to see. So this hand. Starts out. I have a hundred big blinds. I'm on the button with a king and a jack, king of clubs, jack of spades. I don't think the suits matter. Start out by opening to a quarter on the button. We're playing four-handed, and the big blind calls. I don't think there's really much to talk about here. Do you have like any impression of the big blind before this hand, like reg, weak reg, ish? 
I can't remember. You know, I, I think they're reggish. I think they're reggish is, is from what I remember. But also, you know, for those people in the audience and for you too, I don't know that you've ever streamed poker before, but like whenever you're streaming poker, like it's quite a cognitive load um, talking about everything that's going on, like I- explaining your thought process, trying to take all the data points in, trying to prioritize them and, and just see everything. You know, I feel like whenever I play uh, on a live stream, like you just miss things because you're investing so much energy trying to like verbalize the thoughts that just go on in your head um, in a way that like makes sense. You're answering questions from the audience. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that this player was a rag, but I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. All right. Well, he doesn't suck or he's not like a total fish, I guess. So that's, that's the data point. Yeah, that, that's the data point. They're, they're not a total fish. Um, yeah. And, you know, so we have the King Jack and the flop is Jack of hearts, eight of clubs, six of hearts, villain checks to us. There's 55 in the pot. And this is decision point number one. I'm definitely C betting. Uh, I think there are a couple options you could go when you're C betting. I think C betting small with range, just in general, button versus big blind is going to work out fine. Um, I think on this flop, personally, I, I would C bet a larger size um, and play some checkbacks. So I would probably C bet two thirds pot um, in this situation if I had King Jack. Yeah, I know. Big better check strategy. This is classic, classic John and the year of our Lord, 2021, the month of September. We'll, we'll talk in December and see <laughs> if you've moved on from big, better check strategy. By the way, I'm noticing right now, and I don't know what's going to happen, but if you're watching this on YouTube and you see that like the screen is going red, um, I don't know if anything's changing for you, John. My nighttime filter's on. We're recording this at like 9 p.m. and my whole screen is going red. Uh, oh. d- don't know. Don't know if, if that translates into OBS, but don't worry, you're not going crazy. Um, it's just bedtime for me. But with that said, you know, the flops jack eight six, two hearts. I felt like villain has lots of natural check raises. Queen 10, 9, 10, 7, 9, just queen nine, something like that. I just felt like they have a lot of hands that are naturally going to check raise. And so I have top pair and felt like going small would be my best path here because I want to get check raised a lot when I have top pair, second kicker on a board like this. So my strategy um, differs from yours in that I will change it <laughs> based on kind of what I want to happen versus the specific specific profile that I'm playing against. And you think that like all those hands are way more likely to check raise versus a small size than they are versus a large size, right? That's sort of what your strategy hinges on. Are you more likely to check raise nine ten off facing a small and facing a large? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess that's correct. That like versus a small size, I'd probably start throwing more hands into my check raise, check raise range. But I think like the supernatural like check raises, I would just I would just check raise regardless. Seven um, seven five, queen yeah, nine, queen yeah, ten, like hearts. Yeah, like I think just a lot of those like really natural ones, like nine ten definitely seven five, seven nine. I'd be really tempted to like. I don't know. That's four, a lot five, of check raising. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of check raising versus a big bet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm also gonna just have. I mean, I'm gonna have like all the two pair combos on the swap, and and I don't know, at least bottom and middle set too. So I don't know. That's a, I'll have a lot of value that I'm 
probably I do have a data point. I do have something about this player that I just now remembered as soon as okay. you know you said you have bottom and middle set. They were three betting something like 25%. They had earlier, they opened, I believe it was like under the gun with like Jack 10 off, and they were three betting a lot. And I, I do know that when I bet this flop, I remember thinking like they don't have eights. I know they three bet eights pre flop, most likely pure, and they probably three bet sixes like half the time as well. Like I, I remember specifically thinking that. Um, before I bet here, because when the inevitable happens and I do get check raised, um, I just remember being like happy as a kid in a candy store. Like, like this is just, you know, I mean, if they have Jack eight or six, eight or Jack six, then so be it. But like they don't have middle set and that feels pretty good. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I guess we'll just, we'll move on from the flop conversation. I mean, there's no, I'm not doing anything other than pure continuing versus this check raise with a Jack, um, Nah, there's nothing Way too strong of hand. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing to do. We just call and see what happens on the turn. Yep. And what happens on the turn is the turn is a king of spades. So we turn top two pair and there's 189 in the pot. We have 900 left. And now I'm again thinking really good thoughts. Like <laughs> if villain doesn't have eights and probably only has like half the combos of sixes, then this turn card is like pretty much gin for me, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if we didn't have the best hand on the flop versus a lot of the hands that were beating us on the flop, like all the two pair combos, um, given that or given that he doesn't have eights, there's going to be like way more two pair combos than sets now. Um, we've just now turned the best hand quite frequently. Yeah. Um, and, and now that I'm thinking about this, hand like I, I think that villain you know we mentioned uh before we started breaking the hand down whether villain was a reg or a fish and i, I think villain is like just like a volatile fish like i think they're just raising and playing too many hands too aggressively like I, I, that's the profile that like i would say they are um okay. they decide to check the king which uh, to be quite frank i i think is somewhat expected like i, I think this is a turn card that like is kind of difficult for them to continue barreling on just they're just repping too thin of a value range and they've got way too many natural check raises on the flop to be able to just you know kind of go nuts i think Hmm. i mean i would expect most players and especially the vault aggro volatile fish to just continue barreling their bluff check raises on the flop their draws just just keep going ham with them. I mean, like Queen 10 is one, like a very obvious one that's like now improved to uh, an open ender. Um, I don't know, like maybe they perceive the king as being a little bit of a scare card for you. Like unless you've, you know, unless you, if you have like tens or nines or some weak Jack X, like the king doesn't look great um, from your perspective. When I see like check race check in the spot, like my initial reaction is that like they big part of the range is now just going to be like Jack 10, Jack nine, Queen Jack hands that top pair hands that um you know felt comfortable check raising your small bet on the flop um but now sort of just are just want to get to showdown a little bit now that now now that you've called the check raise like i feel like that's like a very natural portion of the range to check raise the flop and then check the turn um or just pure give-ups like just ace deuce of clubs or i mean just like pure random check raises and then just giving up yeah yeah ace seven of clubs or something like that yeah that makes sense yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, so that's uh, that's that's what I would think. Like most of the range would be. I, I I would just expect like a volatile fish to not know that. Like, oh, I'm barreling too 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 much. If I check craze all of my natural uh natural bluffs and barrel them all in turn, I I, I would expect them to just you know inappropriately continue barreling the turn, even though yeah, it's kind of funny looking back on it now that like with the label of volatile fish, it changes how we perceive the strategy to be. Um, yeah. I think that in game my thought was just like they're probably range checking uh i think given the benefit of hindsight and knowing that they're kind of a volatile fish or having it like confirmed after thinking about it <laughs> for a few days um i think you're right uh but i did think they were just going to be checking most of range here on this turn like that was sort of my my inclination and so i just decided to size up on the turn i thought i have like uh, I mean, I thought it, the perception would be I've got natural bluffs. This turnover turnover card is going to be bluffed, and also I did think they had like queen ten, nine ten, it, seven five, those type of hands that I could just get value from and wanted to kind of go polar. Yeah, I think that like if your in game read was that you know they're going to be checking close to range on the swap, and and if that's the case, they're certainly going to have lots of you know well, just on hands the, and arson. Yeah, just Sorry. on this overcard king. Yeah, yeah, I thought. right, right, right. Then like. Then yeah, then I think sizing up makes sense because there's now there's just going to be so many hands that can call like a larger bet and like if you're you know if the alternative is betting like a third pot stabbing like a third pot on the turn um, then you're just giving such a good price to uh, just everything a, yeah just a wide array of hands that are are now getting like clearly uh, the right price to call um, you know just their open enders and their flush draws and, and combo draws and stuff like that so. Yeah, I think if that was your read in game, then sizing up on the turn makes sense. But I do think your turn sizing, like stab sizing, is um, kind of worthy of discussion in this spot. Because uh, I remember when I first looked at this hand that I was surprised that you sized up so big. Yeah, I mean, this is just 70%, uh, just the seven on my keyboard. Like you said, uh, I think 30 seems way too small and 50 seems seemed too small and so i just decided to go 70. i thought maybe 90 seems too big so <laughs> that's how we that's how we land on 70 right I, I think that's like just the thought process that i had that 90 is probably too big for the 75 taipan 70 seems like a good good place i mean the other alternative i guess is 50 percent like would is that is that in play here do you think yeah i think like if if you ask me like you know, if 33, 33% would be like my standard default default size. And if you ask me like, okay, you, you have to size up because of, you know, these, these reasons, like how big would you size up to? I think like, I don't think I'd go up to 70. I think between 50 and two thirds would be my size up size um, in this situation. Because I, I think like, I think like a hand like 7.5 is going to see 70% and, and kind of just know to fold. Um, which is, you know, other, other than like check raising again, like check calling with a hand like 7.5 just seems way too loose um so you know if you really want to put those weaker draws in a bind i think sizing down to 50 makes uh makes a lot of sense too but i mean they're, they're again like we said like there's just so many strong draws that are not going to have a problem calling the 70 percent like a flush draw is, is just not you know is going to be like so happy to call 50 and and, and this size is going to be the size that sort of puts them in and uh in a little bit of a tougher spot so i i like this size i think um, i think seven five is really the only hand that like 50 is 50 looks better. Like I think nine, 10, I don't think they're folding like nine, 10 to 70% on the turn, e even yeah. though they probably should. I just think nine, 10 looks much better than seven, five. Right. Right. Yeah. 
maybe nine seven then is like the <laughs> the cutoff end. Yeah, nine seven maybe. <laughs> um, anyway, we're splitting hairs here too because we're like in between like fifty percent and two thirds, and we're yeah, at yeah, seventy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. um, by the way, for the podcast listener who uh, forgot what the board is at this point. We've got top two pair. The board is King Jack eight, six. We're not even into the interesting part of this hand yet. Um, <laughs> which happens right here. And so we bet one thirty into one ninety, and the villain gives us the old double fisted check raise, check raise on the flop, check raise on the turn. They check raise the three fifty five. Tell me what you're thinking here, John. I mean, <laughs> like double check raise is just it's such a rare line that I I don't have like a go to plan or, or or like a yeah I don't really have a plan for like how to combat these or how to think about these double check raises since I I face them so infrequently. My initial just guess on double check raises is that they're going to be under bluffed. Um, I think it's just much easier to do this with a hand that it's it's very clear that going double check raising is is fine like a value hand and it's. Uh, like we, like I said on the turn, like it's just really tempting to just continue barreling your, your draws and your bluffs from the flop, um, especially on on kind of a scaryish uh, overcard turn. Um, so, I would guess that this double check raise is going to be skewed towards value, but we're getting like such an insane price. We're getting three to one, and he could conceivably be. Uh, value owning himself with a with a worse hand than ours. Like if he ever does the double check raise with a hand like Jack Eight or Jack Six or Eight Six, um, or even you know. King King Eight or King Six, if they did something weird on the flop. Yeah, like a hand like King Eight of Hearts could could maybe find this double check raise. Um, yeah, um, we're just you know it's scary to face this, but we're getting too good of a price, and we could still be dominating their value range. Um, so those two things uh, together are just. I'm just calling this uh, 355 check raise on the turn. Yeah, it's funny you use the word scary. I mean, what's the worst that happens? He stacks us. I've been stacked a hundred thousand times in my life. You know, um, I, I remember saying on stream that I didn't think this was a flush draw. Like that was the one. That was the thing that like I I felt really in the moment that villain didn't have a flush draw. Uh, I thought what was more likely would be a hand like Ace Ten. Um, some kind of gut shot. I just didn't think villain would want to reopen the action here yeah. with a flush draw on the turn. Right. Um, so because it sucks to get jammed on when you yeah, check raise the flush draw. And, yeah. Okay. It's really not good che- check raising with a flush draw, getting jammed on, and then being forced to like fold your equity. So, like, I, I thought it was like something like that. I mean, and then also I think I, I did mention like sixes makes a lot of sense too. Like sixes makes sense. I, I think some straight draws make sense and then maybe some like random two-payer hand that's just pl- taking a very funky line uh but i i wasn't ultra concerned about flush draws on the turn to be honest and and i mean like i said i i wasn't scared either I, i'm ready to go broke uh, <laughs> if, if i have top two pair and villain has bottom set then you know this r.i.p stack uh so yeah i, I call the turn which leaves me with 547 left in my stack there's 900 in the middle and the river is the deuce of hearts and so the final board is king jack eight six deuce with the flush completing river so the front door flush completes on the river with the deuce of hearts and villain 
checks. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, I, I was actually like if Phil and jams, I'm snap calling. Like I'm just not, I'm not folding. I didn't think villain had a fluster on the turn. Um, I still think or thought that I, I would beat a lot of like busted straight draws or some just random hands that they have facing the check though. I got, <laughs> I, I was a little frozen, um, yeah. on whether or not to value jam the river. Yeah, I'm. I I would. I remember when you shared this hand that I was like shocked that villain checked a heart river. I thought just thought like, yep, like all their, you know, this is like the perfect card to bluff with all their bluffs that are are the straight draws that bricked and like if they do have a flush draw, obviously they got there. And then I just thought like the better kind of made hands on the turn um, would also just be jamming for you know a little bit over half pot on the river as well. So I don't know. I mean like. Obviously, I'm not unhappy that they checked on the, the, the hard turn. Like, I feel better about my hand. I guess better about my hand now than, than if they had jams. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, we really lose the sixes. You know, that's the, the only hand we lose. And I think sixes is like, do I think villain should check sixes on the river? Hell no. Like, if you're watching this on YouTube right now and you have a set and the flush completes on the river, you have to jam, especially if your plan is to call all in, because if you check and villain like checks back aces or like ace king or king jack, then that's really, really, really bad for you because you get no value when villain when you have villain coolered and you lose when villain does river a flush. So like you should be jamming here with you know your sets. Uh with that said. What I find interesting about this hand, and we've talked about this before, it was like a hand that Jason Kuhn played in a high stakes tournament where he had ace queen with the ace of diamonds. Uh, and he Face checked the jam on the turn. Yeah, he faced a jam on the turn. I think he bet the turn and villain jammed. And then he's like, king of diamonds, like king of diamonds 10. Like he called out villain's exact hand and said something along the lines of like, I know you didn't know what to do on the turn. And, and like, I remember watching that back and he actually ended up folding the turn um, despite calling out villains exact hand. And I, I remember talking to you about that and, and saying like, that was like Jason Kuhn's ability as a poker player. Like he knew there was like one combo of hands or two combos of hands that would, that, basically passed all the tests through all the data points, right? Like only two hands made sense. And he recognized that very quickly. And despite that, he, he ended up folding um, because I think like, you know, the theory got in the way of like, well, you know, I, I've eliminated villains hands down to two, but like, do I really trust this like um, soul read type of situation? And I think here I mentioned on the stream that like, villain's value hand with sixes. And I remember thinking like, I remember hesitating before I jammed and thinking like, man, like sixes makes a lot of sense. And so I, I preface all this by saying that, yes, I do jam because I can't, I, uh, I can't sleep with myself. If I check back and villain shows like Jack eight or King eight or something, I've just <laughs> like, I, I can't like live with myself as a human knowing that there's only like, three combos of hands and three, not only just three combos of hands, but also like three combos of hands that are like chopped up 
in mul- multiple different ways because villain took this very exotic line of like check raising flop and then check raising the turn too, where like sometimes they're going to check raise the flop and bet the turn with a set of sixes. So like there's some like removal there. Um, and sometimes they're just going to jam the set of sixes on the river. Yeah, sometimes they're going to yeah. yeah they're going to jam the set of sixes on the river instead of checking. So like basically, I, I was just like, you know, I know sixes makes a lot of sense, but like I don't think they have a flush, and so I'm just going to jam. And villain just like pretty much snapped it and showed a set of sixes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was thinking about in, in preparation for breaking this hand down on Tactical Tuesday and thinking to myself like, you know, I kind of like. I kind of soul read the situation of like, yeah, villain has sixes. Like that, that's the, that's the hand that I'm like positive. I'm sure villain has sixes in their range. Um, And I still jammed anyway, just because I couldn't trust that. Like they didn't have a hand like King eight or, you know, six, eight or Jack eight or King six or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Something like overrides your, your, logic or you're you're in like jason kuhn's intuition in the in those situations where you're like you narrow them down to one hand and then something takes over and you're like surely this human being has more than one hand like gets to the situation with more than one or two hands right like they must you know (laughs) they must these two yeah yeah like i I mean it's like you just don't trust that like internal instinct that's telling you like your intuition that's like so honed and refined that's like letting you know but i mean i did hesitate and think about jamming the river before I jammed. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, if I, if I, I think that the times that I'm playing the best, the times that like I'm in the zone and in flow is exactly when I just trust myself. Like I just trust that little voice. I trust my intuition. I trust my instinct and I just check back because like, I'm just, yeah, I have a lot of self-trust and here, you know, whatever. I think I can't even really say that like it's a mistake. All I could say is that like I feel like I played, um, you know, not not to my ability here. Like I, I left some on the table, but whatever. You know, I think I don't know. I, I jammed top two pair for value. Like whatever. No, no, yeah. That's it's so hard to like know whether like you're playing. You know, whether what you said is true and you left some on the table, or if. It's like it's just so hard not to be results oriented in this situation because when they show up with sixes, you, that's how you feel. But if you check back and they showed up with jack eight, then you'd be like, "Well, I left something on the table." Like, yeah, and you know. I, I honestly, I feel like it's easier to live with myself doing like the obvious thing than it yeah. is doing the non-obvious thing. You know, right, like right. it's like, well, I'm protected because like pretty much anybody would jam top two pair here, so like. I can just do that and I'm okay. Um, and if I check back that I'm like, that has the potential to go like way wrong if they yeah. do show some sort of two pair. Yeah. Yeah. Getting punished doing the obvious thing is significantly less psychologically painful than getting punished trying to do the weird thing and being like, Oh my God, why did I try <laughs> to do the weird thing? Like <laughs> Exactly. Like why did I do this weird thing? Um, Okay. Yeah, this is a it's an interesting hand, and yeah, I think that's going to do it for this this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. Uh, my screen is red. Your background looks like it's doing something. Yeah, I, it's I, out I, on yeah, it's going. Your background is just going yeah. insane. The Matrix is falling apart. Everybody's going to see the facade. Um, that is our camera setup here. Got to shut down this episode before the studio <laughs> falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the Matrix. Sorry, guys. Um, Yeah, we got to go. Talk to you all. uh, Talk to you all next week.
that you what you say? Week. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> See you that's next week. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.